the word that the Lord gave me this morning uh, and really put on my heart is really to declare why I have hope for America, why I have hope in this hour. You know, it, it, it happens in, in every so many generations that um, every time that, that Israel did something right and began to see the favor of God, it's like pretty soon they forgot you know, who God was and how they became great and how God conquered their enemies and how God gave them the land. And America is very similar to that. That uh, I'm going to read out of Judges chapter uh, 2, verse 10. It's one of, the, one of those sad verses in the Bible. And this is after Israel entered into the promised land and they took cities and they took the land and saw God go with them to, to, uh, to drive out the enemies before them. And they, they took possession of the land that they had wandered in the wilderness 40 years, having been promised to them. So they, they finally occupied what God had promised. And then it says this in verse 10 of, of chapter 2 of Judges. It says, when, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which He had done for Israel. And so what happens is, is that a lot of times we, we see the, the blessings of God and the promise of God and the favor of God upon a nation, and then there's a generation that raises up, and the former generation really did a poor job of sharing to the next generation why we are a great nation. When, when Elijah uh, met on Mount Carmel, it says he, he gathered all the children of Israel, and he gathers all the prophets of Baal. In other words, all the false prophets that are in the land. All the, in America, it would be all the media, and it would be all the prognosticators, and all the false religions, and all the people with all their false gods. And, but Elijah comes representing the, the God who is. You know, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the man whose God is God. And so uh, we have a lot of uh, idolatry in our nation and a lot of mixture in our nation. And we have schools that have taken God out of their schools. And we have... This, this arena in our, in our society where if it feels good, do it. And we've forgotten the commandments and the goodness of God in our land. And so Elijah is in that same situation. And he calls all the people before him. And he says, you know, he looks at all the children of Israel. And he says, is the Lord Jehovah, is he God or is Baal and all these false other, these other idols, are they God? And it says this, it says, and the people could not answer him a word. The people could not answer him a word. In other words, they remained silent. And it wasn't that they just couldn't talk. It's like they didn't know the answer. They, had been a, they were a generation of people that didn't really know whether God was God or whether uh, Baal and all these other false gods were God because they had been failed to be told by the former generation. And so the reason why... Um, and so as we know, God called, you know, Elijah builds the altar and he calls down fire. And he says, let him who answers by fire be God. And I believe that God is raising up a standard. This is why I have such tremendous hope today. It's because when God, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard against him. And I believe that God is the God who answers by fire and God is about to answer by fire. And God's releasing a generation of people to raise up, to, to rise up with not just the word of the Lord, but with the word of the Lord being accomplished with signs, wonders, and miracles. And we're about to have a Mount Carmel confrontation with evil in our land. And uh, I believe that the, the reason, one of the reasons I'm so inspired and so excited is because every generation, if, if, if I was asked, how many in here are like 45 years old or younger? Raise your hands. Man, it's bright up here. Um, that's almost everybody. I'm going to raise my hand. No. See, that's why the women are not here this weekend, because they'd all be raising their hand no matter how, what age they were. 
But if you're 45 years or older or younger, I mean, it's a miracle that you were even born. I mean, the, 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 the tactic of the enemy is to kill out a, 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 uh, a generation before it's ever born that God's about to use. And so the, the, the onslaught, not just of, of just evil and wickedness in our land that's that, and the drugs and all the stuff that's out there that are like landmines to a, a younger generation, I mean, just the mere fact that you made it past abortion and that your parents you know, chose to have you. I mean, uh, you know, Bobby Connors, who's actually older than I am, and I, I can share this story, but I mean, his mother tried to abort him. And, and he, he remembers it in a vision. He, he had the, vi- the vivid memory of it in the womb of, of uh, being attacked in the womb. His mother tried to abort him, but failed. And so, I mean, he's a mighty prophet of God that God's using. But, uh, and he asked his mother about it. She says, yes. She goes, I was just traumatized. I already had, I think, three or two other sons, didn't know how we were going to make ends meet and had a moment of weakness and, and tried to end the pregnancy and actually end her life. And uh, I mean, he tells that story. But uh, just the mere fact that well, there's greatness on a, in destiny on a generation, the enemy tries all he can to kill it. And, and if you look at, like, for example, Moses, excuse me, Moses, uh, I mean, uh, Pharaoh, somehow the enemy, the spirit realm knows when your destiny. He knows the call of God upon your life. He may not know it all. He may not know how God's going to do it. But he knows there's something special and unique about this younger generation that is, is, is poised for this hour to, to rend the heavens and bring heaven down on earth and to see a great awakening and a great spiritual movement in the earth. And so Moses, who was meant to be a deliverer of God's people, I mean, Pharaoh sends out the decree to kill all the firstborn of, of Israel. And so it's that same abortion spirit trying to snuff out the deliverer that God had raised up. And so his mother, seeing that he was a, a beautiful child, I mean, you know the story, but, but she would not put her son to death. So she, she recognized the anointing, even when he was a baby. And it says she cast her, you know, she cast Moses on the water. You know, the Bible says, cast your bread on the water, and not many days it will return. Isn't it interesting? Moses is known as the bread giver. And she cast him on the water. And anyway, so, I mean, so Pharaoh's daughter draws her out. Well, this, this would be a good offering scripture, you know. What? So, so, so Pharaoh's, I'm getting, a, I'm getting revelation here. So Pharaoh's mother, you know, or Pharaoh's daughter actually draws him from the water. That's why they named him Moses, because it means drawn from the water. So she draws him from the water, and then she says, there's not a Hebrew woman that can nurse this child. And so she goes and gives it back to his mother so she can nurse the child that she released. God, that's awesome. And she got paid for doing it. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, isn't that cool? I mean, you know, you give, this is my offering. I'm taking a little segue here, a little rabbit trail. But I mean, cast your bread, your bread giver on the water. Many days later, it shall return to you. And extra besides, I mean, she, she got paid for doing what she would do for free. That's a good message. It's not my message, but it's a good message in the message. So Moses, I mean, he, so, he's, so he's spared. So God spared that child from the onslaught of the enemy to try to snuff out his future and his destiny. Uh, and the same with Jesus. I mean, Jesus was, was called to be, he's the savior of the world. But, you know, Herod did the same thing. He, he set out a decree to have all the firstborn children killed. So all these, all these things that are, that are coming, when they, coming against this generation causes me to know that there is such a significant call, high calling upon this generation of young people to, to be the, the reformers that God's raising up uh, in this hour to take cities for His kingdom. When, when Joshua and Caleb, which 
I think represents my, my generation and Debbie and, and us that are like the 50 year old and olders. Uh, we're those, you know, Joshua and Caleb, I, I usually share that, how they, they spied out the land as sons and they tasted it, they saw that it was good, they knew they could take it, but they had to wait 40 years for another generation to be raised up that they could go in and enter their promised land. So they, they spied out the land as sons, but they entered in as fathers to the next generation. And so it's this, this coming together of the generations that scares the heck out of the enemy. And that's why there's been such an onslaught of evil in this hour. When the, when the, when the darkness gets darker, the light shines brighter. And so the, the church is ready to rise and shine with these generations coming together. Um, David, uh, in, uh, let me go to Josiah. Turn to First uh, Chronicles 34 if you're, if you're following me or just make a note there. Josiah, and, and this is First Chronicles uh, 34 verse 1, Josiah was a king, and I want to set this up. Josiah came after his father was name is uh, Ammon, and his grandfather's name was Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings in all uh, of Israel and Judah's history, and so he was like the most wicked man in the kingdom. And so, and then his father did just like his, just like Manasseh, and his name was Ammon. And then came Josiah, and so Ammon died. Josiah became a king when he was only eight years old. And Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, or for the left. For in the eight years of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek God, and the and the, the he began to seek the God of his father David. I think it's interesting that he did not look back to his father who was wicked. He did not look back to his grandfather who was the most wicked king of all of Israel, but he looked all the way back to a righteous king and a righteous bloodline, which was David. And so it's like having, not having a, a great father is not an excuse for not stepping into your destiny and being great right now. David, who was the, you know, King David, the greatest king, the man after God's own heart, I mean, he became a, a great spiritual father but he had, he had King Saul as a spiritual father. He, he related to Saul. He said my, when, he was, when Saul was trying to kill him, if you remember, Saul tried to kill him because he was jealous of the anointing upon David. And so, so uh, 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 when Saul tried to kill him, I mean, David called out to him. He said, my father, my father, why do you try to kill me? Why do you so he even related to him as his, as his father. And so, but, but David became a great spiritual father in the lives of the next generation because he became in the lives of other men what he didn't have in his own life. And there's a, there's a, there's a principle there. I mean, David, where, where Saul was, was jealous of, of one man's anointing, David, David was able to be the captains of hundreds, the captains of fifties, the captains of thousands, and release them to do great exploits. So God is bringing these generations together to where having, not having a great father is not an excuse. I mean, in our land, you may have, have had a great father. I had a really good father. But, that's not an ex but, but what matters is, is that we relate to God our Father because you become the image of who you worship and who you relate to. And so there's, there's God's raising up a generation of what I call apostolic mothers and fathers in this hour that are going to be like spiritual parents to the next generation. And their idea is to, and the, the purpose of that, that fatherhood, that parenthood, is to cause them to know who they are as a result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because if you don't 
know your identity. See, your identity dictates your behavior. And see, religion, and really the old wineskin that the church has been in, it's, it's, the religion tries to tell you that if you get your behavior right, then you can become a son, you know? But truly, when you recognize that you're a son, when you, you know, the Bible talks about Adam and Eve, and it talks about how uh, when Adam took, uh, excuse me, when, when God put Adam to sleep, and he took Eve from his side, took out the rib, and, and, he, and he created Eve. It says that when Adam saw Eve for the first time, he saw himself for the first time. And, 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 and it says that because he saw himself in his wife, in his, in his wife, he said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Well, we are born and taken from the side of Jesus, the bride. We're the bride of Christ. We've been taken out of his side. So when our eyes are opened and we see the son, then we see ourselves for the first time. We see, we see through the intimacy with Jesus and through the revelation of Christ, we get our identity and we say that's bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. Paul spoke of that as being the mystery of marriage, but it's a mystery of Christ being, being wed to his church. So as we, as, as we as spiritual parents remove the veils of religion and tradition so that you can behold Christ, then you understand who you are, not based upon your works, because it's not your works who... who, who uh, it's not your, your works who determine your identity. It's your identity that determines your works. It's the gift of righteousness that produces the fruits of righteousness. And so not understanding the gift causes you to begin to strive and to try to perform and try to work up your salvation through uh, uh, the works of the flesh and striving to become what the Bible already says you are. And so we're, uh, we're seeing now what I call is the Acts 4.13 generation. It's something that Debbie and I have been prophesying for years but it's a generation that uh, Acts 4.13 says that when they saw uh, the boldness of Peter and John and recognizing that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and realized they had been with Jesus. And there's a generation that's not going to have all the, the I's dotted and the, and the T's crossed as far as doctrine and theology, but they're going to have that. People are going to look at them and recognize, man, these people have been with Jesus. And so it's that removing of the veil of religion and tradition that allows you to come boldly before the throne room and behold Him because you're changed by beholding. You're not changed by doing. The Bible says we're changed from glory to glory as we behold Him with an unveiled face. And so as we behold Him with that, without the veil of religion and traditions and striving and, and dead works and performance. See, the, the, the story of the prodigal son is such a great picture of, of all of us, really. I mean, the prodigal son, I mean, he, his father looks for him every day and when he comes, he just wants to be a servant. But the father says, no. He says, put on the robe of righteousness. Put back on the ring of authority. Give him back his place in my family. Put on the sandals and let's throw a party. And so, I mean, uh, the, the, the prodigal son received all the benefits of his inheritance based on his identity, not based upon his performance. And see, the older brother, he never enjoyed the benefits of his salvation and his relationship because he wanted it based upon his performance and didn't understand that it was based upon his identity. And so he was, he was the one that really missed it. And so, but God's now is bringing up men like David and women like David who were brought up under an old wineskin who uh, had the heart of a David but was jealous because of the one-man you know, show type of anointing that basically tried to you know, kill the anointing that was in our generation. But this is a, something, it's a new day in the body of Christ where there's a new wineskin spirit a new wineskin being formed in the church where mothers and fathers in the Lord are serving at your feet so that you can occupy 
your position in Christ and you can occupy the gates of the city. And so, uh, you know, when, when Rebecca, uh, Rebecca, who was the bride of Isaac, when she was about to go and, you know, she agreed to go and be the bride of Isaac. This is in Genesis. Um, Abraham sends out his servant to go get the bride for his son Isaac. And when he goes to, when he goes to get her, um, when, he, when, he, when his servant goes to get the bride, her family blesses her and says, my sister, may you become the mother of thousands and tens of thousands, and may all your descendants possess the gates of their enemies. And that's a prophetic promise for this hour, that God's people are about to possess the gates of their enemy. Whether it's the, the banking kingdom, whether it's in the arts, whether it's in the, the, the law uh, areas of law and influence and, and judiciary, whether it's in the school system, whether it's in, uh, in ministry, but the, the gates of influence, the, the gates of the city are the places of influence. And, and, the, and the body of Christ is, is supposed to possess the gates. We're supposed to be the ones that possess the ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN gates. We're the ones that are supposed to have the influence. We got 3% of our, of our society, the wrong 3%, is influencing what the other 97% of us think and, and get to see. You know, um, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but well, you know, I will. Uh, <laughs> you know, I can turn the channels on every network, and it'll be you can you can walk through the whole thing and never see a masculine figure, a masculine identity on television, and that includes, unfortunately, Christian television. I mean, I see guys that are saying the right thing, but they're dressed in an effeminate spirit. And I mean, we just need to quit letting the devil tell us how to dress and how to act and how to walk. And, uh, you know, I don't know any woman that I've ever met that wants to marry a, a man who's less than a masculine figure. She's looking for a husband. She's looking for someone who is strong, who can protect her and who can provide for her. That's a husband. And, uh, you know, uh, every person I see in the Bible is a man. I mean, even, even the scripture says that those that have emasculated themselves cannot enter into the temple. And so there's this attempt in our society to, to emasculate the body of Christ and to emasculate uh, really our society. So there's my soapbox. But we need, to, we need to, to rise up in defiance of that and have the strong identity of men. And I'm not leaving you women out, but I mean, it's just time that, uh, that, that see, when men find their voice, that's when women get their voice. And so we need strong men to be leaders, and the church has got to find its voice because that's the place of influence at the gate. See, I went right back into my message. <laughs> See, America is not like other pagan nations. America was, is raised up uh, in a covenant with God. And God's judgments on a land that's known God are different than His judgments on a land that's never known God. And so America is a nation that is blessed beyond any nation, any, any governmental uh, experiment in the history of mankind. This country is blessed. The, the innovation, the inventions, the prosperity, the blessings, the freedoms that we enjoy in our country are bar none like nowhere else in the world. And yet... We can, we can take that for granted and miss 
and, and lose the reason why we're blessed is not because we're so smart and so sharp. It's because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so America is, is at a place where, um, you know, for years we've been saying we're at a crossroads. Well, I really believe we're at, I, I am so excited about what I sense and feel in my spirit for America right now. Um, if you look at, a, um, I'm going to turn to Jan, Daniel chapter 7. But America is actually mentioned in Scripture. And it talks about... Um, let's see if I can find this. Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. Daniel is, is having a vision. In this vision, he sees uh, four great beasts come up out of the sea. It says, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. And the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on its own two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. All the other beasts remained beasts and all of them had the heart of a beast. Only uh, the, the lion is symbolic of different nations. Maybe I should back up a little bit. And all these beasts are different nations. Some of them say that it was Germany and Russia. And, but the lion, we know, is England because it's represented by the lion. But the eagle's wings were plucked off of the lion, which is the United States of America, and they came to America. And it says that, uh, that it stood on its feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. That is different than any other nation described in, in, in Scripture. And so if you take that, that thought of a man's heart and you go to where Nebuchadnezzar, who was a great king and a great nation, the Bible says that he, um, his kingdom was like no other kingdom, that it influenced everything. And God made him great. Even though he was a pagan king, God, the Bible says God made him who he was. But he, but he exalted himself, if you remember, and it says that a man's heart was taken from him. And he walked on the earth as on all fours in the dew of the grass until times, times, and half a times passed over him until he finally looked at his condition and looked up to heaven and acknowledged that God ruled in the affairs of men. I believe America is on that same path. I believe that America is, has been on that path where she was given a man's heart, but she forgot who she was and why she was who she was. And so therefore she's stumbling around in a place where she's really wandering around in the dew of the grass in a, in a prideful situation. I mean, you know, years ago, um, I remember when the movie Titanic came out. I guess that's almost 15, or maybe 17, 18 years ago. And the movie was one thing, but, the, but there, was a, there was something in that movie that when I saw it, it was very prophetic. I mean, that, that movie came out actually about uh, a year before 9-11 happened in America. And so it was kind of a warning movie, a prophetic movie in a, in a sense, because it was, uh, the Titanic was called the Ship of Dreams, and it was unsinkable. And uh, if you remember, the people are partying the whole time it's sinking. They just kept on partying and playing the music. And they basically, they hit an iceberg because they didn't have any binoculars on board. And the binoculars would speak of the prophetic voice. There was no prophetic warning, warning America where she was heading. And also there were not enough lifeboats for all the people that were aboard, which speaks of churches and, and, and real places where, of worship to, to bring in salvation for those that are about to drown. And so it was a real prophetic picture uh, in that hour of, of what I knew was coming upon America. And, uh, but since that time, I believe that there's been a, uh, um, 
uh, America has, has come to a place, I believe, of desperation. And I see that the generation that God's raising up in this hour is like uh, the, 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 the church and the body of Christ in America coming to herself and saying, you know, enough's enough. We cannot kick God out of our society and expect to have the blessings and the freedom that we enjoy. See, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is not liberty. And that's why countries that don't have the liberty and the freedoms in their society is because they've never invited the Holy Spirit to be God of their society. And so they desire to come to America and how delusional it is to pray to make your nation like the nation you just left from. I mean, how, how delusional to vote in a way that, that, that lifts up a society that's just like the place you just escaped from. People that came to America when I was growing up, I, I can remember vividly the pictures of, of, of uh, people from, uh, I guess, Vietnam and Asia and the Philippines and other people and uh, Mexico and other places. When they came and they, they went through the, uh, I don't know what you call it, but the, the, uh, the importation, the naturalization, everything. I mean, I can remember the pictures of thousands of them with their hands over their heart saying the Pledge of Allegiance with tears coming down their eyes. They knew what they were coming into. They weren't coming in to our nation to change it. They were coming in to be part of a nation that was under God with liberty and justice for all. A nation where you had the freedom to dream your dream and to go after it and not being punished for being a success. I mean, come on, y'all. I mean, it's like enough is enough. And I, I just believe that God has heard the groaning of His people like He did in the days of Moses, and He's raising up a generation to be saviors. When, when, uh, when John the Baptist and Jesus came together, you know, John represented a generation. John's mother was Elizabeth. In the Bible, well, let me go here first, look, because I want to say this. Malachi, the last, the last uh, scripture in the Old Testament is Malachi 4, verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and the dreadful day, and I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That is the last verse of the Old Testament. The, the New Testament, the very first prophetic word in the New Testament is the father of John the Baptist receiving a prophetic word stating that I will give you a son even though your wife Elizabeth is past the age of childbearing. I'm going to give you a son and you shall call him John. But he will, be, he will come in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. So I mean the very last verse in the, in, the Old, in the Old Testament, the very first prophetic word in the New Testament is this proclamation, lest I strike the earth with a curse. And you know, I asked the Lord, I said, what's the curse, Lord, if you don't turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and sons to the fathers? And I felt like I heard the Lord say, a generation has to start over from scratch. And a generation has to start over from scratch. It means it doesn't have any spiritual fathers that can release the heritage to the next generation. But in this hour, we have spiritual parents that I believe that these two generations come together, we're about to see an explosion of power. When, uh, when, um, when John the Baptist came, I mean, when, when, when Elizabeth was pregnant with John, if you remember, Mary, who was just a young girl, she represented a younger generation, and she's carrying the end-time destiny. She's pregnant with Jesus. And it says, when, when Mary greeted Elizabeth, John leapt in her womb. And what, what I'm carrying in the Spirit when I get around young people and, what, and your destiny and what you guys are pregnant with from God for, for this hour, I mean, when you begin to talk, I mean, it's like what I'm carrying just leaps in my spirit. 
I mean, I live to see what you guys are carrying. I live to prepare the way for, for the next generation to, to, to take cities and to shift the atmosphere of nations for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. And so when, when John, if you remember in Scripture, when, when, when Jesus and John, now they're both born, and Jesus is about to start his ministry, these two ministries collide. You have John baptizing and Jesus comes along. And Jesus, even though you know, his ministry didn't fit John's ministry, but he submitted to John's ministry. He didn't submit to John, but he submitted to that ministry in water baptism. And when those two ministries came together, you saw something in Scripture that you don't see anyplace else in the entire Bible. You see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one place. You saw the, the Father speak from heaven. You, say, you saw Him saying, this is my beloved Son. And you saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove. And I believe that as these two generations come together right now in this hour, the fathers and the sons, I see like, like, uh, like, like uh, Joshua and Caleb did, when they, when they came with the next generation, they didn't raise up ministries. They didn't, it wasn't about, it was about taking cities. When they crossed over to the promised land, it was no longer about you know, gathering things in the wilderness and just being sustained supernaturally. It was about taking cities and taking the spoil and dividing the spoil for the kingdom of God. And this is where we're going. I mean, we're not here to, I mean, this, this is about taking cities. That's why I'm so, uh, in a way, I'm grieved over what's going on in Dallas, but I am so excited about what I sense in the Spirit is about to take place. Because it's time to see cities transformed for the kingdom of God. It's time to see uh, generations come together and occupy. And as, as, as the fathers and mothers take, uh, take uh, join hands with the next generation, we're going to cross over together and go from a place of just wandering in the wilderness to a place of, of destiny and purpose of seeing cities taken for God. So let's stand up today, and I want to... I want to... Uh, somehow I want to enact this out. So if we could have... Let me think how to do this. All those that are over 50, if y'all would just come up to the front and face... You know, and I want to say something about, to, to me, this generation represents the Joshua and the Caleb's. That um, you'll never know, how can I say this? Young people today will never know the grace and the blessing that they're walking into because of the seeds that were sown and the plowing and the prayers of the former generation. I mean, you'll never know what it's like to, to step in, like, like Joshua and Caleb, to step into a promise and yet not to get to know that you could take it, know that it was available, and know that you had to wait for another generation to be raised up and wait and wait and wait to finally see revival come. And uh, I believe we're standing on the threshold of an awesome, awesome move of God. And so uh, I just want this generation to just, if we would just stretch hands to the, to the youth, to the younger generation. And Lord, we just declare right now, Father, that Lord, that this city taker anointing, that Lord, that these reformers, these Josiahs, these Joshuas, these Caleb's, that Lord, we come together as one man, as one voice, Lord, to occupy, to take cities, to take nation. I declare that over every man, woman, and child in this room, 
that, Lord, they shall possess the gates of their enemies, whether it's, it's as a husband and a wife in marriage, as, whether it's in a businessman in business, whether it's lawyers, whether it's doctors, whether it's bankers, whether it's media and the influence of media, Lord, that, whether it's architects. Lord, I, I just declare that over every gate, over every place of influence, that, Lord, the body of Christ rises up, Lord, as Jesus and John the Baptist, as, as one prepared the way for the other. We just set ourselves in agreement to prepare the way as, as fathers to the next generation to see them go and do great exploits. That, Lord, as, as David's mighty men rose up as captains of hundreds and captains of fifties and captains of thousands, we just declare, Lord, that there's a rising up today Lord, that, that, the, that no weapon formed against this generation shall prosper. I declare that everyone in this room shall occupy and take that foreordained, chosen place in your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.